Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Please rise as you are able for the reading of the gospel. Today's lesson comes from Matthew chapter 6. Listen for the word of God. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. sprout you're a star that will shine in the night you are the east and a small green of souls are began to grow in the dark go my friends go to Good morning. Happy Father's Day. 
I hope we can all find some time today to honor and remember our fathers and all those who, through their nurture and care, have been like fathers to us. Um, I want to say a special word of appreciation to my own father, who's watching this worship service um, by video in California. Um, I love you, Dad, and I'm proud to be your son. I also want to say a word of appreciation to my wife, who looked at the calendar and thought, what can I get Kyle for Father's Day? Oh, I know. I'll get him a pulpit. That's, that's not a gift that everyone can give, so thank you. You're very, very thoughtful. Will you pray with me? Blessed are you, Lord, our God, who sows the seeds of your divine word. May your spirit bless both the speaking and the hearing of this word, that it may bear fruit in the lives of your people. Amen. Today, I want to encourage you to let it go. Yes, at the risk of invoking the most epic Disney princess of all time, at the risk of sending you out of here singing the songs of Arendelle rather than the songs of Charles Wesley, and as we head into the heat of summer to grab a phrase from the Ice Queen herself, I'm going to encourage us all to let it go. I'm not going to bury the lead today. This passage from the Gospel of Matthew cuts to the core of so many of our spiritual and relational problems. It cuts to the core of challenges being faced in the church and the world. What it says to us quite bluntly is that humans have a tendency to grasp and hold to too tightly to things that ultimately do not matter, to things that don't have eternal significance, to things that are passing away. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In this passage, it is as if Jesus looks at us, at all of the stuff that we cling to, all of the stuff we treasure, all of the stuff that occupies our minds and keeps us distracted from the things that really matter. Jesus looks at all of that and invites us to let it go. You cannot serve God in these things. Store up treasures in heaven. Do not worry. Seek first God's kingdom. Now, I'm still getting to know most of you, and most of you are just beginning to get to know me, but if you knew me better, you would understand the irony of me standing in this pulpit calling on all of us to let it go, to not worry. Letting go and not worrying are not in my wheelhouse. First of all, I'm a world-class worrier. I like to know what is coming next, to plan my life very carefully to ward off the unexpected. Uncertainty makes me anxious makes me focus more on the future than the present moment. I am not good at letting go of worry. Second, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool perfectionist. And I don't mean that in the way that some people mean when you ask them what their biggest weakness is. And they say, oh, well, I don't know. I guess maybe sometimes I just work a little too hard. Or sometimes I care a little too much. Or maybe I'm too loving. No, I mean genuinely that sometimes I care so deeply about things being a certain way or arranged just so, or if I'm honest, with being right, that I drive the people around me a little crazy. Or as the case may be, perhaps my perfectionism may provide a bit of entertainment for the casual passerby. Like, for instance, that time I really wanted to blow the leaves off the lawn during a really windy day. What possessed me to take on such a task at this particular moment? I do not have a good answer to that question. But what I can tell you is that once a perfectionist gets an idea in his head that he is going to do something, you better believe he won't let it go until it is finished. And so there I found myself on one very windy day chasing leaves all over the front lawn. Have you ever watched a perfectionist blow leaves on a windy day? 
very frustrating to do, but as I, can, as I can imagine, probably pretty funny to watch. Or have you ever watched a perfectionist try to build a Duplo tower with a four-year-old? Because I can tell you that your pastor has, and folks, sometimes it ain't pretty. Hey, listen, buddy, it'll be more structurally sound if we build it this way. You know, what if we add a few more parts to this side to make it more symmetrical? No, don't knock it over right away. We just finished it. As a perfectionist, it is hard enough for me to let it go when it comes to petty things like leaves and duplos. So you can imagine how challenging it can be for me to let go when it comes to more important matters. I was reflecting on my own penchant for worry and perfectionism, my futile attempts to control the wind, my desire to relish in the glory of a perfect, perfectly symmetrical and towering Duplo structure, when, oddly enough, an ancient Buddhist practice came to mind. It is a practice that trains the practitioner in the art of letting go, in the recognition that nothing in this world is permanent. In Tibetan Buddhism, monks will train for years in the art of crafting sacred images known as mandalas out of vibrantly colored sand. A mandala is a geometric design that in Tibetan Buddhism serves as a kind of symbolic map of the universe, adorned with sacred images of the tradition. The image in the process of creating it served to focus the mind of the practitioner on contemplation of ultimate reality that undergirds the cosmos. The design for these images are incredibly intricate, as is the process that goes into creating them. The monks, usually working in teams of four, begin by painstakingly outlining the image in chalk. The outlining process alone can take more than a day for a typical mandala. Then the monks proceed by distributing millions of grains of sand, of colored sand, onto the design with the aid of copper funnels and scrapers. The images are precise and colorful and textured and beautiful. It can take more than a week for a team of four monks to create a typical mandala. If you haven't seen one of these images, I would encourage you to look, look them up online when you get a chance. They're really beautiful. Yet shortly after the image is complete, the monks do something which was hard for me to grasp at first. They begin the ritual of slowly and deliberately destroying it. You can imagine how I reacted when I first learned about this practice. First, imagine my frustration when my son takes a, blast, a plastic baseball bat to the glorious Duplo Tower we just built. It only took me an hour. And you might get a sense for how I initially reacted when I learned that after days of painstaking, detailed work, the kind of work that makes the heart of a perfectionist look on in wonder, these monks proceed directly to the destruction of their artwork. But this practice, the careful creation and then destruction of the sand mandala, is intended as a powerful ritual reminder that everything in this world is passing away. Nothing is permanent. And to hold too tightly to the things of this world is to make ourselves captive to them, to miss seeing the deeper meaning in life, to miss our connectedness to all of creation. In this practice, the monks literally let go of the images. They gather up the sand and release them into a flowing body of water, like a kind of prayer for the wholeness of the world. Cultivating a sense of detachment from material things subject to change and decay is at the heart of Buddhist practice. The goal of the practice is not so that the practitioner can stand aloof to the material world, but that it can draw them outward in compassion towards all of the world and every creature that suffers. 
While this specific practice is unique to the Buddhist tradition, aspects of what the practice intends to teach us can be found in many of the world's spiritual traditions. In fact, in our passage today, Jesus himself is teaching us a kind of detachment, a kind of letting go. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume. Rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, do not let yourself become encumbered by things that will inevitably decay. Know your place in this ever-changing world and trust in God. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This kind of teaching can be found all throughout Scripture. The writer of Ecclesiastes famously lectures us that everything under the sun is vanity. That no matter how many people we surround ourselves with, no matter how many riches we amass, no matter how much work we do to distract ourselves from our own mortality, that all of us and everything we build up around us will one day inevitably be returned to the dust. Isaiah and the Psalms teach us that all people are like grass and their constancy like the flowers of the field. They will wither and fade. The place where they are planted will remember them no more. First John commands us not to love the world or the things of this world because this world and its desires are passing away. These are but a few examples, but over and over again in Scripture, we hear not to set our trust or our hope on things that perish. Everything in this world will wither and fade, will return to dust, will pass away. Here in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is calling us to accept this truth of our existence and to let it go. You cannot serve God in these things. Store up treasures in heaven. Do not worry. Seek first God's kingdom. Now, Jesus is not here trying to send those of us who worry or who have very real struggles with depression and anxiety into a, into a self-defeating shame spiral. These challenges are real, and for many of us, faithful Christians included, facing them requires dedication to spiritual practice and the guide of a professional therapist. There's no shame in that. But what Jesus is doing is inviting us to live a life of freedom and joy that can only come through a truthful recognition of the nature of this world, of our place in it, and ultimately the trustworthiness of God to gather up all that is good and true and beautiful in this life and hold it in eternity for us as a part of God's new creation. Because in the Christian tradition, we hold together these two seemingly opposing convictions. That on the one hand, everything in this world is passing away, will one day return to the dust and will cease to exist. But on the other hand, with God, nothing that truly matters is ever finally lost. We can let go, trusting God to gather up. If we can embrace these two convictions fully, we can experience the new kind of freedom in this life. The more we can cultivate the art of letting go of what is temporary, what is never meant to last, the more we can keep our focus on God's eternal kingdom of love, peace, and justice, and goodness, the more intently we can live in the present moment, receive each moment as a precious gift. 
This is exactly what Jesus means when he says to seek first God's kingdom, and then all of these things will be added to you as well. When our attachments get out of whack, when our priorities become skewed, the temporary things of this world that we cling to end up controlling us. We become their prisoner. But when we put things in the proper eternal perspective, when we seek first God's kingdom and the goodness, truth, justice, and love that come with it, our relationships, our possessions, our careers, our beloved institutions and communities, none of which will last forever on their own, can become for us signs of the kingdom, good gifts to be received in the here and now as a foretaste of what God intends for us in eternity. And so we are invited to let it go, to live fully and freely into the paradox that on the one hand, everything in this world is passing away, and yet with God, nothing that truly matters is ever finally lost. And what concretely does this do for us? In the Buddhist tradition, a recognition that all things are passing away is meant to draw one outward in compassion to all suffering creatures. What might this look like for us? In my silly example, uh, it can be easy to let my perfectionism cause me to focus on creating the best dang Duplo Tower known to man, a Duplo Tower destined for destruction anyway, <laughs> and miss the joy and love and connection with my child that will not only outlast that Duplo Tower, but is also a sign of the love and fellowship God intends for us in eternity. In our relationships, it can be easy to get caught up in a petty argument with a spouse, a family member, or a friend, and let it drive a wedge between us. To let resentment fester, to insist on some small thing that in the last analysis makes very little difference in this world, to insist on being right. Let's be honest, how often do we carry on an argument long after we can no longer remember what started the argument in the first place? If we can let go of some control over things that are temporary anyway, might we be more able and willing to receive the love and companionship that comes to us from God in the lives of these people? For again, the circumstances that cause the disagreement will fade away, but the goodness and love we experience in our relationships will remain with us in God's new creation. In our personal lives, it can be easy to over-leverage our lifestyles to keep up with our neighbors, or to seek extra comfort or status in the eyes of the world. We soon find our mortgage and our car payments and our credit card debt forcing us into workaholism, limiting the possibilities of our relationships and our sense of vocation. What might it need, mean to let go of our need for these kinds of treasures? To receive the good things in this world as gifts to sustain our lives and the lives of our neighbors, not as ultimate markers of our success or identity. Many of us are all too familiar with the temporary nature of life in this world. The loss of a loved one brings this home with no need for reminder from any preacher. When we lose a loved one, whether they have lived a long and happy life or are taken before their time, it is genuinely painful and we mourn their loss. Mourning is one of the ways that we express our love for them in their absence. Yet in the midst of our grief, our Christian faith proclaims to us that though our loved ones are gone from this world, they are never lost. 
and we will one day be reunited with them in God's new creation. The love we shared with them in this life will live on for eternity. Now, when it comes to life in the church, my experience suggests that it is here that Christians have the most difficulty letting go. And perhaps, ironically, have the most difficulty not storing up treasures on earth. The church, as it has existed for the last 150 years or so in this country, is rapidly changing. There is no getting around that, no matter how much denial there might be about this fact. Our ways of expressing church life, our use of facilities, our organizational structures and programs, all of these patterns have their own life cycle. And like everything in this world, they are not permanent. As things change around us, our tendency in the church is to cling to these things as if our very life in the church depends on them and not on Christ and his kingdom alone. To the church, too, Jesus speaks this world, this word. You cannot love God and these things. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do not worry. Seek first God's kingdom. This church and every church at the local and denominational level is going to have to do the hard and courageous work of learning how to let it go. To let go of the way things have been, to let go of the status we once thought we had, to let go of once cherished aspects of our communal life. How we let go, what we let go of, when we let go of it, all of that requires hard discernment over time. But Christians following Jesus' command need to cultivate a healthy detachment from things which are passing away, even things in the church in order to embrace the coming of God's kingdom, which makes all things new, in order to keep our focus and intention on treasures not subject to decay. Because when we do this, when we remember to seek first God's kingdom, God promises to provide the things we need to sustain our life in the church and to continue making a vital witness for Jesus Christ in this world. And as Christians, we can let go because we know and trust that while some of the ways we have lived out our life as church are passing away, nothing of true significance is ever lost to God. All of the love shared, all of the lives changed, all of the community built, all of the justice to which we have wit borne witness, all of the beauty of our worship, these are the treasures that neither moth nor rust can destroy or thief break in and steal. These are held eternally by God, and we can rest and the sure confidence that as material things change around us and as new patterns of being church emerge, these are the kingdom treasures that will be gathered up by God and will remain. The same is true in every aspect of our lives. All of the good we bring into the, word, the world through our hard work, all of the love we share in our relationships, all of the justice we create in our communities, and all the beauty we experience in creation— while all of it one day fades from this world, everything that is finally true and good and beautiful in the eyes of God is a treasure that will endure forever with us in the new creation. And we will be able to enjoy them anew with clear eyes and open hearts, freed from anxiety, worry, self-interest, and the distraction 
that so often gets in the way in the here and now. So, dear friends, do not worry. Learn to let it go. The world and its desires are passing away, but those who do the will of God will find true and eternal life. Christ is calling us to let go of those things which are passing away so we can see and embrace the kingdom of love, justice, truth, beauty, and goodness everywhere it is to be found. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.